So I was, uh, I was looking through uh, one of Rav Mike's teachings um, for some of you who may have not been here uh, five or six years ago. Rav Mike started Tree of Life back in 99, and he passed away um, a few years ago, about five or six years ago now. And so um, his lovely uh, bride, who is not here today, uh, she was kind enough about a year ago, gave me a thumb drive, and on that thumb drive was like every single teaching Rav Mike had ever done for like 15 years. And so that was pretty cool. So usually once a week in my preparation, I'll kind of go through them and just kind of see what he's got, you know. Sometimes it really speaks to me, and I kind of, you know, go through it, make it my own a little bit. Sometimes, you know, it's, I'm off in a different direction. You know, but I always go through it just to kind of see what was kind of going on in his head during that week. It's just kind of a cool insight. And so this week, he had put some thoughts together on um, the lamb, of course, his Passover. So he had, like a, he had several Passover teachings. And he had one that sort of took a look at examined the lamb and how um, God sort of reveals salvation um, throughout the Bible. It just doesn't start out with Yeshua um, and the salvation of the world explicitly. It starts out very small, and it sort of works from there. And so I thought it was kind of interesting. And it's Passover season, so there's a lot of, you know, all these different concepts and ideas overlap. So um, I just thought this was some pretty good stuff. Of course, uh, as we went through it last night, and as most of us, we were talking about it today in the readings, it was the blood of the Lamb, that caused Adonai's judgment, of course, to pass over the homes. And uh, we see that redemption um, fulfilled, of course, in our Messiah, Yeshua, the Lamb of God. And so when we look at Scripture, we can see that the Lamb is uh, not only our key to understanding Pesach, but also the revealing of salvation in some interesting ways. That starts out, see, so we look at... The Bible sort of reveals salvation. It begins with an individual person, then it kind of moves on to a small group like a home, and then a nation, and then the world. That's sort of just kind of how uh, salvation is explained anyways. When you think about the very first step, an individual person, you see that um, example back in Bereshit, or the book of Genesis, the Akidat of Yitzchak, right, the binding of Isaac. There we see um, Abraham is tested, right? God tells him you have to take Isaac, your son, your only son, and you're supposed to offer him up to the Lord, something that would be very difficult for any father to do. But Abraham, he's going to go ahead with it anyways, and he brings uh, Isaac up the mountain, right? And he's um, wielding back, uh, and, and the... That's when the angel calls out to him, you know, stop. And, and so what happens there, of course, as we all know, is that they saw a ram caught in a thicket, and that was the substitution there. See, Isaac's life was saved or ransomed by uh, the ram. And so we see a one-to-one correlation there. We see one life, we see one individual um, being saved by uh, a substitute or a ram. That was Abraham's son. And so from that, we can learn from what Rav Mike said that each individual 
is in need because we have all have sinned. Of course, we read from the book of Romans. It makes no difference whether one is a Jew or a Gentile since we all have sinned and come short of earning God's praise. And it continues a little later. And it says it was through one individual that sin entered the world and through sin, death. And in this way, death passed through the whole human race in so much as everyone sins. And so... Um, God, however, of course, provides the Lamb, the Messiah, for each one of us, and we'll get to that a little bit later, but the Bible starts out and sort of gives us that lesson that there is a substitute for an offering, for there's a substitute for the sinner, and that's sort of introduced there with Abraham. Now we get to the Exodus story. Of course, that's where we're at. We were really enveloped with that last uh, night, of course. Um, let's just read a little bit of it. Turn to Shemot, or Exodus, chapter 12. It's on page 71. This will help calm me down a second, reading a little Torah. A lamb for each house. Exodus, chapter 12. I'm just going to read a few verses here. This is on page 71, Exodus chapter 12. I'll start in verse 1. Adonai spoke to Moshe and Aharon in the land of Egypt, and he said, You are to begin your calendar with this month. It will be the first month of the year for you. Speak to all the assembly of Israel and say, On the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb or a kid for his family, one per household, Except that if the household is too small for a whole lamb or kid, then he and his next-door neighbor should share one, dividing it in proportion to the number of people eating it. Your animal must be clean without defect, a male in its first year, and you may choose it from either the sheep or the goats. So not only is there a lamb for the person and a lamb for the family, but it's interesting to see that um, the lamb is never too small for our homes, but our home may be too small for the lamb. Isn't that interesting? I mean, you may think about it like this. Whatever difficulties your home may be having, there's always abundant provision for the lamb. The lamb is always sufficient for every home. And the power of the lamb to save from judgment is shown to be so abundant, of course, that it compels us to share the lamb with our neighbors. And so that's kind of a picture of our own personal experiences with Adonai. And so here we have the lamb for each house. It is almost, so it's not a one-to-one -one correlation anymore, but it's not a one-to-a-whole-nation correlation anymore. It's one-to-a-house. And it's nothing that anyone in the house does or says or no ritual. It's simply they sacrifice the lamb, put the blood on the doorpost, and that's it. That's all the uh, destroyer's looking for, right? And so then the idea of um, redemption there begins to expand out from there. There is a lamb for the nation. Not only is there a lamb for the person and a lamb for a family, but as we see in Yeshiyahu, there's also a lamb for the nation. And I'd like to look at that this morning. I'm going to read a little bit more here. And that's Isaiah chapter 53. So not be a proper uh, Pesach service without Isaiah chapter 53. 
That's on page 521 if you're in your sterns. But Isaiah 53 is really the uh, foundational text for understanding the concept of a Messiah. Page 521, or it's Isaiah chapter 53. Now we're going to get into a national salvation mode here. We had an individual salvation sort of picture with Abraham and Yitzchak, and um, we have sort of a household picture of salvation, in a sense, with uh, each family and household with a lamb. But here we're going to get a good dose of national, what it looks like to have uh, national salvation. Isaiah chapter 53. Verse 1, who believes our report? To whom is the arm of Adonai revealed? For before him, he grew up like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He was not well-formed or especially handsome. We saw him, but his appearance did not attract us. People despised and avoided him. A man of pains, well acquainted with illness, like someone from whom people turn their faces. He was despised. We did not value him. In fact, it was our diseases he bore, our pains from which he suffered. Yet we regarded him as punished, stricken, and afflicted by God. But he was wounded because of our crimes, crushed because of our sins. The disciplining that makes us whole fell on him, and by his bruises we are healed. We all, like sheep, have went astray. We turned each one to his own way. Yet Adonai laid on him the guilt of all of us. Though mistreated, he was submissive. He did not open his mouth like a lamb led to be slaughtered, like a sheep silent before its shearers. He did not open his mouth. After forcible arrest and sentencing, he was taken away, and none of his generation protested from him being cut off from the land of the living for the crimes of my people who deserved the punishment themselves. That's interesting that verse 8 there, the crimes, and he says, of my people, that's his nation. And so this is, and I touched on this last night, this is the root of expectation for the, the idea of a Messiah who is going to suffer and die for the world. It wasn't just an idea that got cooked up with the apostles. This was something that's been uh, tossed about in the nation of Israel for centuries before Yeshua walked this earth. Some sages, of course, may not um, later on have a different explanation of this. They say this is uh, not one person. They'll say it is the nation of Israel. I think an argument could be made both ways, but certainly um, you see Yeshua written all through this. And so Isaiah 53 shows that despite um, his rejection, his suffering was for the sake of his people Israel. That's what that verse 8 says, my people. That's what Isaiah says. So when we consider Israel, we might wonder what will secure the people and what will bring peace to the nation. Of course, it is the Lamb of God, Messiah Yeshua, who is enough. 
He is sufficient for the nation of Israel, for no other nation and no other resource will ever be able to meet the needs of Israel except God. When we consider our own nation, we are a wayward nation, um, caught up in hedonism and abortion and pornography and all manner of unrighteousness. We might wonder, what is it going to bring, what will it take to bring peace and righteousness back to this land? And of course, the only answer is the lamb, the same lamb that is the answer for Israel. But when we think of this world, and this is something that Rav Mike wrote on a lot when you go through his uh, teachings, and um, I'll get to that in a second here. We'll talk about the expansion to the world just out of the uh, nation of Israel. Because a lamb for the world is not only just a lamb for a person or a lamb for a family or a lamb for a nation, but when we read further, um, as it states in John 1.29, John 1.29 says, The next day John saw Yeshua coming toward him and said, Look, God's lamb, the one who is taking away the sins of the world. So then the lamb is for the world, and only he can bring peace to the world. This is part of the mystery that Paul talks about, the mystery of uh, redemption, not just for Israel, but redemption for all the nations outside of the border of Israel, all the peoples being drawn to his holy mountain. It's a bit of a mystery. Many Israelites thought it was just Israelites, but no, it's uh, for all peoples. And so that peace, that ultimate peace, is something only he can bring, even though nations attempt it themselves. Rav Mike in here, this is what, five or six years ago? He talks about the chaos of the world that we live in right now, five or six years ago. And he was talking about, you know, problems in the Middle East. He was talking about Afghanistan, um, uh, uh, terrorism that was happening. And I could only think... Jeez, if he was alive today, and it was just, it's such a different world, the craziness that's happening right now, as compared to five or six years ago. Five or six years ago, we thought all this is bad, but that was before COVID and Russia and, I mean, uh, confusion. And so, yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of interesting to see this. Just that contrast. What is the hope of the world? Well, it's certainly not us trying to fix the world's problems. We have enough of our own. It's only the eternal lamb. He's the one that's dainu, all-sufficient for everyone. And one day, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth, of course. And that day, there will truly be peace. And there was, because there is a lamb for the world. And he is the only one in this universe who is actually truly worthy. And this was something that John realized in a vision of Revelation that we had. Very interesting. We never read the book of Revelation very much, but Rav Mike included a very, uh, very interesting passage in there. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 5, page 1537. Page 1537. Or Revelation chapter 5. Let's 
because the revelation that is uh, the, the lamb that is uh, going to redeem the whole world, there's just one, and he is unique, and he is the only one that's worthy. Here in chapter 5, verse 1, Revelation chapter 5, next I saw in the right hand of the one sitting on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals, and I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? But no one in heaven, on earth, or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look inside it. I cried and cried because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look inside it. One of the elders said to me, don't cry. Look, the lion of the tribe of Yehuda, the root of David, has won the right to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw standing there with the throne and the four living beings in the circle of the elders, a lamb that appeared to have been slaughtered. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the sevenfold spirit of God sent out into all the earth. He came and took the scroll out of the right hand of the one sitting on the throne. When he took the scroll, the four living beings and the 24 elders fell down in front of the lamb. Each one held a harp and gold bowls filled with pieces of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals because you were slaughtered. At the cost of blood, you were ransomed for God. Persons from every tribe, language, people, and nation. And you made them into a, a kingdom for God to rule. Kohanim, priests, to serve him. And they will rule over the earth. Then I looked. And heard the sound of a vast number of angels, thousands and thousands, millions and millions, and they were all around the throne, the living beings and the elders, and they shouted out, worthy is the slaughtered lamb to receive power, riches, wisdom, strength, honor, glory, and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven, on the earth and under the earth and on the sea, yes, everything in them saying, to the one sitting on the throne, and to the Lamb belong praise, honor, glory, and power forever and ever. And the four living beings said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. This is our hope. This is how the age ends. I mean, we have been taught that this idea of redemption was provided for man, begins kind of through Isaac, and we see it opening up through households, through the Paschal Lamb, then to a nation. We see that revelation kind of swelling up and getting bigger by the prophets talking about redemption for the nation and the world around them. And then we see Yeshua, and we know that it's through him that the world has access to that redemption. He is the only one who's worthy. He is the only one whose merit is adequate to overcome our sinfulness and our wickedness. And he's the only one in which we have our hope, right? Yeshua, the lamb, the sinless one. And we should be humbled by his love for us and his suffering on our behalf. The humbleness and the love that we have for him and for 
um, his king, and what we look forward to in his kingship is something that the psalmist writes about. And we'll close with that this morning, the, uh, a psalm that is just rich with uh, messianic expectation. Psalm 72. Psalm 72. Some of you will get there before I actually get there and tell you a page number. 860, if probably pretty close to dead smack of the middle of the Bible there. Psalm 72, right? Written by Shlomo or Solomon. Psalm 72. God, give the king your fairness and judgment, endow this son of kings with your righteousness so that he can govern your people rightly and your poor with justice. May mountains and hills provide your people with peace through righteousness. May he defend the oppressed among the people, save the needy, and crush the oppressor. May they fear you as long as the sun endures and as long as the moon through all generations... May he be like rain falling on mown grass, like showers watering the land. In his days, let the righteous flourish and peace abound till the moon is no more. May his empire stretch from sea to sea, from the Euphrates River to the ends of the earth. May the desert dwellers bow before him. May his enemies lick the dust. The kings of Tarshish and the coasts will pay him tribute. The kings of Shiva and Sava will offer gifts. Yes, all kings will prostrate themselves before him. All nations will serve him. For he will rescue the needy when they cry, the poor too and those with none to help them. He will have pity on the poor and needy and the lives of the needy he will save. He will redeem them from oppression and violence their blood will be precious in his view. May the king live long. May they give him gold from the land of Shiva. May they pray for him continually. Yes, bless him all day long. May there be abundance of grain in the land all the way to the tops of the mountains. May its crops rustle like the Lebanon. May the people blossom in the city like the grasses in the fields. May his name endure forever. His name, Yunan, as long as the sun. May the people bless themselves in him. May all nations call him happy. Blessed be Adonai, God, the God of Israel, who alone works wonders. Blessed be his glorious name forever, and may the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen. Amen. Uh, may it be soon and in our days. Um, Shabbat Shalom.